Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning, I'm Pastor Sandra and I come all the way from Woodlands and Woodlands is a pretty good place to be in right now because it's the place in Singapore that's closest to fresh chicken. <laughs> so I have three kids, one husband, um, sometimes they themselves get a little bit confused as to who's the kid and who's not and um, one of the things that I really love coming to the East for is because I have a great affinity with all of you because I love food. Um, I think the last time I came here was maybe a couple of months ago, or yeah, a couple of months ago, and um, I spoke about my dog then, Zuma. Um, just to let you know, I will be speaking about my dog again. I do not know why every time I come to the East, God puts upon my mind the dog. So for today, I want to start off by telling you that talking about a topic that is very close to Singaporeans' heart, especially the students, exams. There are two kinds of students as we prepare for an exam. That's the first kind, who are, you know, the night before they have an exam, they are doing a final review of their notes, they are packing their bag, they're deciding what should I eat for breakfast, and then they are laying out their uniforms, and then they are ready to go. And then there is another type of student, okay? And this is the type that's looking through their notes for the very first time, Desperately WhatsApping their friends and saying, hey, is this topic tested or not? Although an upcoming exam is nothing like the day of the Lord, I have to admit, okay, like I confess, one of my very frequent prayers back when I was a student was, Jesus, please come again very soon, preferably before my exam. This is the kind of prayers I used to pray. Because for me, the exam would be a time of verdict or vindication. Why? It would be a time of verdict for those who have not studied, a time of vindication for those who have. And for me personally, most of the time, it's a time of verdict. Lah. So verdict and vindication, this is what Ben shared with us last week about the day of the Lord. And today we are to be called to be ready for the day of the Lord. But we have to ask first, actually, what does being ready really, really mean? And I suggest to you today that being ready is about how you live as you expect the day. It's not a last-minute scramble to do all the things, to do all the final preparations before the day. It's about the way you live that makes you ready. Take exam prep. Just because you drink chicken essence the night before, just because you pack your bag already and then you have all your things in your pencil case does not mean that you're actually prepared to take the exam. Because it is the work that you put in, the consistent and thorough subject mastery over the last few weeks and months that makes you ready for the exam. Or even take food security. It is about diversifying our food sources and doing that process over time so that we can always have chicken rice, okay? And then pick pandemic preparation. It is about building up a stockpile of PPE, of having enough masks and gloves and gowns, um, building medical infrastructure, building up medical personnel, and building trust in the robustness of the health system. So that makes you really ready when the pandemic hits. So it is about the way you live that makes you ready. 
And today, for us, the passage today is, are you ready? Are you ready? But the second question, underneath that question is, how do I tell if I'm ready? What are the indicators of us actually being ready? And there are two indicators of us being ready, which is to be awake and to be sober. Allow me to read God's word to you. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4 to 8. You can refer to it in your... Oh, I do have it here. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4 to 8. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as helmet. And before we dive in, let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Father, we ask that you prepare our hearts to meet you, to encounter you, the living word. And we pray today that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts ready to respond in full and total obedience to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So these four verses, verse 4 to 8, they are actually part of a larger passage, okay, from verses 1 to 11 in the book of Thessalonians. And let me show you what they are. Verse 1 to 3, this was what Ben preached about last week and talked about the day of the Lord. He explained about the day of the Lord and how the day of the Lord is really inevitable. It is coming. And then the next section is what we're dealing with today. In the light of the day of the Lord, in view of that, in anticipation of that, how then should the church live? How then should the Thessalonians live and wait? And then the final section to be covered in next week's sermon it rounds out Paul's exhortation. The Thessalonians are to live with eschatological hope, big word. Eschatology basically means the last things. And they are to keep on encouraging one another and to build each other up while they wait. So this is what the passage was talking about today in this context. And today, for today, the passage that we're looking at, Paul exhorts us to remain ready for the day of the Lord. And the question that you need to ask to know if you are ready is you first have to ask, are you ready or not? Okay, how do you know whether you're ready? Here's a mentee QR code that I would like all of you to scan. So if you could take out your phones, scan this, and there's only one question. And the question is, are you ready for the day of the Lord? And there are three options, okay? Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath, then you answer as honestly as you possibly can. Are you ready for the day of the Lord? Okay, if the crew could help me screen the results. Firstly, this is a sneaky way of taking attendance. 
And there is a, quite a number of you who say, yes, I'm ready for the day of the Lord. Uh, lower number says, no, I'm ready for the day of the Lord. I like those in the middle because you are very honest. And then there's a whole bunch of us who say that we are not sure. And so for today, I have good news for those of you who are in the third section, actually maybe also the first two bars, because we're going to talk about actually how do you really know whether you're ready or not. Because some of us are putting not sure, because we are not sure what being ready for the day of the Lord means. So today's sermon will focus on two characteristics of readiness that we can examine in our lives to determine if we are ready for the day of the Lord. And the two characteristics are to be awake and to be sober. And the first characteristic is to be awake as we expect. You know, as God's people, the passage says here that our identity is children of the light. That is our identity. And Paul keeps on repeating, the church is not in darkness, they are children of the light, children of the day, and they do not belong to the darkness. That is our identity, people who belong to the day. Children of light, God's people. And then we are contrasted with people who belong to the darkness. So what then is the difference between people who belong to the light and people who belong to the darkness? And the text tells us, they get surprised. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Those who are in darkness get surprised by the day of the Lord. They get surprised by the day of the Lord, but the children of light do not. Why wouldn't children of the light not get surprised? Because as God's people, they already expect the day of the Lord. They know it is sure and certain. They know that it is coming. So it is not about the timing. We will all get surprised at the timing. We all don't know when. But the children of the light know what the day of the Lord is about. We are not surprised by the what. We know through the scriptures that the day of the Lord is coming and it will be a day of judgment and vindication. We know that through the Old Testament, this means that Jesus is going to come again. And scripture tells us what it means when Jesus is going to come again. So when we think about it, what does the day of the Lord bring? The day of the Lord brings forth the final things at the final end when Jesus comes again. And when he comes, the day, there will be judgment, there will be vindication, but he will also bring forth the fullness and the completion of perfection. It will bring about perfect redemption. It will bring about perfect restoration. It will bring about perfect shalom. He comes to bring about new heavens and new earth, and He will make all things new. So as God's people, we look forward to that. We look forward to the promised perfection. We look forward to the promised glory that Jesus is going to bring with Him. And this is what the children of the light expect, the glory of perfection at the final end. So to be awake is to live our lives in eager expectation of the final end. As children of light, to be awake means to live our life with a correct orientation. Our lives are oriented in the correct way to the final end. And living with this end in mind will then shape our allegiance 
It will shape our identity, it will shape our purpose, our values, our priorities, our life choices, our decisions, our discipleship. And this is why the impetus for us as a church this season is preparing to meet King Jesus. Preparing to meet King Jesus, it is a call to be awake. It is a call to expect the Lord's return and to live with His return in mind. But honestly speaking, if we were to be absolutely honest with ourselves, most of us really don't live life that way. We don't live life with that, such laser-sharp focus, such laser-sharp orientation on the final end. Because the final things are a bit too far off, a bit too remote, a bit too nebulous, not sure what it's about. And life in the here and now feels much more real. Life in the here and now feels much more pressing. And so here's my dog. I do have the cutest dog in the world, I'm sorry. Uh, no offense to other dog owners here. So he is a toy poodle. He is small. He's cute. Uh, quite frankly, a lazy bum. Um, so he's a poodle. He's a toy poodle. So poodles, they are originally bred for hunting. So hunters would bring along poodles when they hunted birds, and it is the poodle's job to go and retrieve the game. So if you throw a ball for a poodle to fetch, it is in his instinct, it is in his nature to go grab it because he is a retriever. So we adopted this dog during COVID because we all stayed home a lot, the dog stayed home a lot too. And after things started opening up in Singapore, we brought him to the park more often. And one day we were at the park and because there was nobody around, we thought ah, it would be fun for the dog to be unleashed, run around, you know, and a little bit like dogs were meant to do. So we unleashed him. We set him free, and then we threw a ball. Ooh, and we said, go, Zuma, fetch! And then he ignored us, and he laid down on the grass, and he took a nap. <laughs> what kind of a dog is this? What kind of a dog is this? His idea of... This idea of being at the park is to take a nap on the grass and not run and chase the ball like he is meant to do. What kind of a dog is this? See, my dog has become so socialized to his daily environment that whether on leash or off leash, his behavior is the same. So when living with us, my dog had become utterly domesticated. He had lost some of his dogness. So what about us as children of the light? Are we also too socialized to our own environment that we have forgotten who we are and what we are to live for? If we don't really look forward to Jesus' return, if we don't really look forward to Jesus' second coming with eager expectation, maybe we have allowed ourselves to drift into living only for the here and now. And if we only live for the here and now, our view of the glorious end is dimmed. Our vision of our eternal hope is dull. And I would say that after a while, our identity becomes smart, our destiny becomes very blurry, we can't figure out what it is, and our discipleship is truncated. And we live as though we are asleep when we are meant to be awake. Are we too socialized to our environment? that we have forgotten who we are and what we are to live for. So here's a soul-searching question for us today. 
What are some of our preoccupations that make us lose sight of our glorious future, of our glorious destiny? What might some of these preoccupations be? Now that Singapore is opened up, we're returning back to the office, the busyness is hitting us hard again. Or perhaps it's our pursuit of pleasure. Now that borders are open, everybody is back traveling. Is our preoccupation securing a future for your children? So even as I bring this before you, would you take a moment before the Lord right now just to ask Him to surface up, to bring to the mind any preoccupations that makes you lose sight of your glorious future? Friends, don't let the world socialize you into losing your distinct identity as children of the light. If you're a dog, be a dog. But if you are children of the light, be awake as children of the light in eager anticipation of the Lord's return. Be awake as we expect the final end. As children of light, we are called to be awake. That's the first characteristic of being ready. The second characteristic, it is to be sober as we wait. So thematically in this passage, Paul uses many contrasts to make his point. And the first set of contrasts are day and night, light and darkness. That has to do with their identity. And the second set of contrasts are awake and asleep, drunk and sober. This has to do with how then they should live. So what is the reason for all the contrasts that Paul uses to bring out a point? What is the point that he's actually trying to make? And Paul is actually trying to paint a separation. If you are children of light, you shouldn't fall asleep and be drunk. That's the way of life for those who are in darkness. If you are children of the light, you should keep awake and be sober because that's what God's people do. So it is not about saying that we are holier than thou, we are more righteous than non-Christians, and it's not because, just because we're Christians, we're automatically better people, we're automatically more righteous than them. It just means that there is a threshold in which we have crossed from darkness into light when God brought us out of darkness into light. And because there's a threshold that we have crossed, being asleep and being drunk are traits of the old life that the Thessalonian church should have left behind. And because we are children of the light, we are now to put off the slumber and the drunkenness and choose to stay awake and sober. That is what the children of the light do. They stay awake and they stay sober. So let's talk about this word sober. What does being sober really mean? And here it's, we are to be sober, it means to be free from every form of mental and spiritual drunkenness, from excess, passion, rashness, and confusion. In other words, don't be drunk. Lah. That's not very helpful. Let me explain a little bit further. Okay? So if you get drunk, your sensibilities are dulled. You cannot really perceive correctly, and you speak without weighing your words. You act out without restraint, and your capacity to do the right things, or actually your capacity to do things in general, are very diminished, and of course, sometimes vomit happens. This is why drink driving is a crime, isn't it? Because it impairs your ability to function. So when you are drunk, you actually can't function properly. 
your ability to function is very much impaired. So Paul here is using being drunk as a metaphor for a way of living. And so to be drunk means to have our reason, our conscience, our decision-making, and therefore our Christian living be impaired. To be drunk means having our Christian living impaired. We can't function properly as Christians. And what is our Christian living impaired by? There are two things, two aspects. And the first is that we are governed by the world's way. This is what impairs our living as Christians. It is to be governed by the world's view instead of God's view because the world has its own way and its own view of looking at things, especially to the big questions of life. For example, where do we come from? Why are we here? What do we live for? Where are we going? And the answers that the world offers to us are often very different from what the Bible says about it. And as good Christians, typically we can pick out those that are very obviously different. But the difficulty when the differences are not so obvious. And let me show a few examples. Here are some statements. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Good people go to heaven when they die. So if you look at all these statements, actually, they appear mostly true, isn't it? They don't seem very wrong. It is close enough to the truth. It is close enough to the truth. But I would say that in and of itself, if you drill down what is behind those statements, they are only close enough to the truth and not absolute biblical truth. And if our view of God and if our view of the world comprises of beliefs that are close enough to the truth, when we put all those beliefs together, eventually it's a very big departure from the truth. Close enough is not truth. And we will depart from the way we were meant to live if we are not discerning, if we are not discerning what messages the world is giving to us about God, about the world, and how we are meant to live. So here's encouragement for all of us. Let us go daily back to the Bible to seek the Lord for the truth. And let us be wise and discerning and take reference from the Bible about what we are meant to believe. So that is the first way in which our Christian living is impaired. What's the second way? It's when we are governed by our human impulses. You know, to be drunk is, well to be obvious, to drink an excess of alcohol. And you drink excessively because you give in to your human impulses and, and perhaps the buzz you experience and the lack of restraint you experience is enjoyable. Of course, some people will tell me, oh, whiskey, very nice. I, 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 I cannot, I'm allergic to alcohol. Um, and they will tell me, oh, wine is very good. And, and they really enjoy it. But when you are drunk, it means that you've drunk an excess. It means that you have given in to your human impulse to have an excess. So in other words, to be drunk means to do whatever your flesh wants. And you give in to your impulses 
to the point where you lose all self-control and you lose all self-restraint and you end up being governed by it. You know, in popular culture, there is a phrase called, you do you. Okay, my uh, kids use that a lot. Uh, in fact, actually, it's been made in a few pop songs. It's, it's, it's actually part of um, the, the vernacular. And the meaning is, you do you, you be yourself. You do what feels right to you. You do what makes you happy. So the message of being yourself is actually a worthy one, isn't it? Because we don't want to be fake. We don't want to live up to other people's expectations. And we just want to be ourselves. But the problem is when we throw sin into it, the equation, what feels right to us, what makes us happy, may not necessarily be the best thing. It may not necessarily be what is good, what is worthy, what is true. It may not necessarily be godly. Throw sin into the equation of our human impulses and you get a really, really bad cocktail. No pun intended. So two things that impair our Christian living. When we are governed by the world's way and when we are governed by our human impulses. So this is what it means to be drunk. So what does it mean to be sober? To be sober is to live governed by God's way. To live sober is to live governed not by the world's way, not by our human impulses, but by something higher. To be governed by God's will and God's way. And as children of light, Paul exhorts us not to give in to our fleshly impulses, not to do whatever our flesh wants. Instead, Paul exhorts us, be sober, choose God's way. And what is this way that he tells us? It's the way of faith, hope, and love. Paul exhorts us to put on faith, hope, and love because they run counter to our human impulses. They run counter to the world. And growing in the Christian virtues of faith, hope, and love is what we need in order not to be governed by the world. It's what we need in order not to be governed by our own human impulses. But sometimes it's a bit nebulous, right? What does it mean to put on? It's like, is it put on my jacket or to put on my earpiece as I did this morning? How does one put on faith, hope and love? I suggest to you today that it's the choices that we make in our daily life as we resist the temptation of the world, as we resist the temptation of our daily choices, human impulses. When we're tempted to let go at our spouse for something he did, we need to choose the way of God's love. When we are tempted to gossip and condemn our colleagues, we need to choose God's love. When we are tempted to give up on a child going astray, we need to choose faith in God's redemptive hand. When we are tempted to throw in a towel for ministry because we are so tired and discouraged, we need to choose faith in God's calling. When we are tempted to hold on to our bitterness at being backstabbed by a colleague, we need to choose hope in God's vindication. When we are tempted to lose heart over a loved one's cancer, we need to choose hope in God's goodness. This is what we are called to do when we are to be sober, putting on the virtues of faith, hope and love. In real life though, to ask me to do this once, to put on faith, hope and love, I think once is doable. To do it for a short period of time, I think also still doable, still possible. But to keep on persevering, to keep on persisting and doing this for the long haul, I think it is a tough call. 
In 7th of February 2020, Singapore raised the alert system from DOSCON. I don't know what it was before they raised it to orange, but they raised it to DOSCON orange. Then in this year, in April 2022, after more than two years of the pandemic, Singapore finally lowered down the alert level to DOSCON yellow. So what was it like being on high alert the last two years? At first, we all chong, we all pulled together and we all pulled together in solidarity. We cheered on the healthcare workers, we made sure we kept to the rules, we diligently scanned in our trace together and scolded our neighbours who didn't, and then we made sure we sent each other care packs to bolster up our mental health during the season, and we did a great job at being alert and sober at the beginning. But we got tired, right? Over time, we got tired, and our alertness waned. We got tired of keeping the rules, and after a while, you just get alertness fatigue, if there's such a thing. And as time went on, we all got a little bit tired of doing the right thing. And for some of us, this can be a parallel to our Christian journey. We start out with great intentions, but we lose steam along the way. We find the journey a bit harder going. We can't seem to get out of the rut that we're in. And we want to find freedom, and we want to find a breakthrough, but we can't seem to find it no matter how hard we try. What then is the good news? The good news is that when God calls us to put on faith, hope and love, He doesn't call us to do it by ourselves. The call to put on faith, hope and love is something that we must choose to do, but it's also something that God Himself enables us to do so. And when we choose faith, hope and love, we are choosing to invite God into our situations to give us the faith, the hope and the love that we need because He Himself, only He, is the source of faith, the source of hope and the source of love. And our job is really to come to him and ask, please come and help me. Please come and enable me. So this is what it means to be sober as we wait for the Lord. Today's God's question to us is, are you ready? And he holds up a mirror to us this day and asks the question, are you ready? Are you awake? Are you sober? And for some of us, perhaps many of us, the answer is no. We have moved from not sure into deciding we are not ready. We are not awake, we are not sober, we are not ready. Recently, I had a friend, a good friend, who sent me a text and she asked, you know, you ever look in the mirror some days and get horrified or fearful of who you're becoming? Question mark, question mark. This was not an older person, by the way. This was someone in the late 20s. And you know, the older we get, the more we see ourselves in the mirror. We see our weaknesses, we see our failures, we see our sin. And many of us do not like what we see. And the older we get, with a greater depth and breadth of life experiences, with all of its joys, with sorrows, but its pains, its disappointments, our failures, when we look into a mirror, it presents a truer picture of self, if we dare look honestly. Because the longer we live, maybe it unearths a clearer picture of who we really are. Because when we are younger, and we haven't experienced that much. Maybe we have not encountered the depth of human sin, 
human weakness and human failure that we are capable of. When we are younger, maybe we have not encountered the depth of sin, weakness and failures that we are capable of. We didn't know how angry we could possibly get. We didn't know how much pain we can cause other people. We didn't know how frustrated we could be at people. We didn't know how self-centered we can be. We didn't know the depth of pain and sorrow and suffering that we might go through. We didn't know how materialistic we could be. And the older we get, the more life experience we have. Sometimes, very often actually, the more we experience the inner rubbish within. And when a mirror gets held up to ourselves, we are not very happy with what we see because it is not where we should be. Marriage has taught me one thing, especially the first year of marriage. It was very hard. It taught me I'm not a very nice person. It taught me that a lot of my chao kuan comes out. And I asked myself, why am I like that? 21 years of marriage later, my marriage has adulted, by the way, I'm still discovering I'm still not a very nice person sometimes. I'm still like that. And it is this recognition that we really are people who are weak, who are sinful, full of failure inside. And as we come before the Lord this day, we tell the Lord, we are really not ready because our lives speak of how unready we are. So while the mirror that's held up today is a sobering reality check, I want to say to you today that the mirror that God holds up to us today is also a divine invitation. Because friends, when we dare encounter the depths of our own sin, it is also the place that we encounter the depth of God's grace. When we dare acknowledge the depth of our own fallenness, it is the place where we encounter the depth of God's love. God's grace does not come to those who morally perform, outperform others, but to those who admit their failure to perform and acknowledge their need for a saviour. Today, in holding up that mirror for us, God is not asking you, not placing that condemnation on you, but He is inviting you to come to acknowledge that we are not where we should be. We are not awake, we are not sober, we are not ready. But at the cross, all of our sins, all of our weaknesses, all of our failures are met by the grace of God. It is met by the redemptive hand of God. And today, even though we don't feel ready, God invites us to first of all return to Him, where His grace abounds. So God's call for us today is for all of us to return to the Lord so that we can first of all be ready for His return. As I invite the worship team to come up, God calls us to return to Him. It's not about how much better you can be. It's not about how much better you can perform. 
But what God is calling us today to do is to return to Him. To return to Him fully, to return to Him in full allegiance, to return to Him in full devotion, to return to Him in full obedience. And that is the call for us this day. And as the worship team ministers to us this song, we're going to sing the verse and the chorus. Would you make this a silent prayer to the Lord? Make this a silent prayer to the Lord. As you tell Him, where would I run? Where would I run? But to your throne of mercy. Where would I run? But to the throne of mercy. Where would I kneel? But at this cross of grace. How great the love strong the hands that holds us beautiful so beautiful so here I bow to lift you high Jesus be repentance return in devotion the Lord says return we look at the state of our lives and the Lord says there's no other way there's no other way except to return so people of God with all eyes closed if that is what you want to do today to return to the Lord, to say, Lord, I feel weak. I'm not sure how, but I want to return to you. Fully return to you. If that is what you want to do in response to God's call, would you please rise? As a response to Him, if you want to return fully to the Lord, would you rise to your feet and say, yes, Lord, I want to return to you. To stand because you are serious with God and say, God, I want to return to you fully, wholeheartedly because I have nothing within me that is good. I have nothing within me. I have nothing within me. I can't do this. I can't live this Christian life. Help me to return to you, O Lord. And if that is you, would you stand before the Lord? Allow me to pray for all of you. Lord, you call us to return. You call us not to do more, not to be better, but you just simply call us to return to the heart of God, to the grace of God, back to the cross where grace and mercy meet. 
So Father, we pray and we surrender all of our human sin, all of our weakness, all of our failures into your hands. And we ask that we encounter your grace afresh. We ask that we encounter your love afresh because at the cross, it is where you meet us. It is where you meet us. So thank you, Lord. Do in us a deep work of repentance. Do in us a deep work that we will return back to you this day, fully, wholeheartedly, living a life that we were meant to be, not in our own strength, but by your grace and by your spirit. So come, Lord. Lead us, empower us. And let's rise, and with the rest of us, rise. Even as you respond to the Lord afresh with this song, Here I Bow. There is a King. There is a King who bore the scars of healing. There is a Son who came in grace and truth. How great a love that carries us to kindness. Wonderful, you're wonderful. invite you to raise up your hand as we as I give the benediction from 1st Thessalonians 3 this is towards the end of 1st Thessalonians 3 it says and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he God may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus 
with all his saints. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Thank you. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word. And we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.